Our Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 10, verses 12 through 20. Uh, We are picking up where we left off before Advent. And so, if you recall, we were reading uh, through the book of Exodus. We've made it this far in, and we are still, the people of Israel are actually still in uh, slavery in Egypt even though we've had all kinds of plagues that have been coming upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians as signs that God is the one true God who is above all of Egypt and Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt. And yet still, Pharaoh's heart has been hard. So uh, we pick up the story, Exodus chapter 10, verses 12 through 20. But before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Oh, this morning, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word, now that you would give us minds to think and to understand, and God, that you would give us hearts that are like the good soil. The seed would fall, the seed of your word would fall into the soil of our hearts, that we go down deep, that there would be good roots, that the seed would grow and bear a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what is sown. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 10, verses 12 through 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that locusts swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Turning then to our gospel reading from Mark chapter 13. We have the disciples having asked Jesus, Tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign they are about to be fulfilled. And we pick up in the middle of Jesus' answer to this, of when uh, the destruction of uh, Jerusalem and the temple will happen, but also when he will be uh, returning. And it all kind of gets mixed around together. And here we go picking up verse 14. This when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. 
Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short these, those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Well, just as we are picking up uh, our readings in Exodus and in Mark, so we are returning to our series in the book of Revelation. And um, what we were looking at throughout Advent was how Jesus is uh, is the image of the invisible God. We looked at multiple places that talked about uh, the preeminence of Jesus and how he really is the one who is to be rightfully exalted as the head over all. That it's in him that uh, all things were created. It's in him that all things hold together. Everyone, everything was created uh, through him and for him. <laughs> And that he is the one who reveals who God is um, better than anything else in all creation. All right? So then we come back to this book of Revelation, this book that is full of images and strange, bizarre, sometimes creepy and terrifying (laughs) images. And we would be wise to not lose sight of who Jesus is in the midst of this. Because if you remember all the way back to Revelation uh, 1, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what is actually being revealed, is the same thing we were looking at in Advent. What is being revealed throughout the strange symbols in Revelation is how Jesus is unmatched. That Jesus is the true king above all kings. That he is the true 
priest. He is the true, um, the true human. And he alone uh, is worthy of our worship and our praise. We saw that especially when we look at uh, like Revelation chapter 5, when we have everybody bowing down and calling out who is worthy. He's, he alone is worthy to be worshipped. I mentioned all that because right now we're in a section of the book where it's kind of like Peter when he's walking on the water. You remember this? Peter gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. He says, Lord, if it's, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. He's like, come. So Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. And then what happens? He doesn't, he doesn't just start sinking. Why does he start sinking? He gets scared, right? Why does he get scared? Because <laughs> he takes his eyes off of Jesus because he starts looking at the wind and the waves. I don't know how you look at wind. Don't ask me. But anyway, he sees the wind and the waves instead of Jesus. And he starts thinking somehow that that's what he ought to be paying attention to because that's the threat. Instead of looking at Jesus, who is enabling him to walk on the waves. And so he starts sinking. And then cries out, Lord, save me. And I think we have a similar... Um, problem when we go through the book of Revelation, we can start seeing some of these uh, somewhat terrifying images, which are there, uh, that they're intentionally terrifying. But we have to do so in the context of this is revealing who Jesus is, that, that these things may be really horrible and threatening, et cetera, et cetera, but no more so than the wind and the waves were to Peter. That Jesus is still the one who is um, is over all. And so I say that because we're getting ready to get into some of these images here. Okay, here, ready? Here we go. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. Um, we had just looked at the dragon in chapter 12 um, that we were seeing as the enemy of God and his people and especially his Messiah. And then in verse, or in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. So far, so good. This is nuts. Okay. (laughs) The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. 
the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Right? All right, well, go out this week and live that. Um, maybe we should talk about it a little bit first. <laughs> what in the world is this about? <laughs> right? You just get this weird image of this beast coming out of the sea, and it's like a conglomerate beast that is uh, part lion, part bear, part leopard. Like, what, what even is this thing? And then it's got, like, a certain number of heads and then horns and crowns, and, like, the numbers don't even match up. Like, how many horns does it have on each head? How many crowns? What is even going on here? And it's the kind of thing that you're like, well, maybe if I drew it out, that would help. And I don't think it would. <laughs> because these are images like we've uh, seen throughout the book of Revelation that uh, are powerful, uh, not necessarily because if you, if you draw it out, you end up having to put into the picture things that it doesn't say. <laughs> But what it does say is there for a reason. And this is to give us um, some insight into what is going on. The book of Revelation, I think, actually is supposed to work kind of like um, spiritual glasses through which we can see reality better than we could uh, apart from it. And so these images are actually to help us to recognize uh, this beast, <laughs> In this world. So, well, sure, I could do that. If I saw something coming out of the sea that looked like that, yeah, I'd recognize that. But there's actually um, kind of stuff that this is referencing. We've talked about before in the book of Revelation how it is the 66th book of the Bible for a reason. It's because it's got 65 prerequisites. And the more familiar you are with all the books that came before it, the more you'll understand what these images are Therefore, anybody recognize any of the language from this from anywhere in the Old Testament? There is a particular chapter in one of the books of the Old Testament that this is just so much, so much the same. Anybody? Somebody's got it. Sunday school kids, you got it? Ah, somebody said Daniel. It is Daniel. Let me know what chapter. This is, this is Daniel chapter 7. This is a huge chapter. <laughs> Daniel chapter 7. And uh, you know, this is one we talk about a lot when... Um, when we talk about Jesus referring to himself as the son of man, it's like his favorite title for himself. He's constantly talking about himself as the son of man. And we're like, well, what does that mean? Does that just mean that he is a person? Human? Is that another word for that? Or does it have some greater significance? And you go back to Daniel 7 and you go, oh, <laughs> he's, yes, he's a person, but he's like the person. So we're going to read part of Daniel 7. And having just... I hope you're paying attention to what we read in uh, Revelation. If so, you'll see some things that are really popping. Here we go. 
Um, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. And this is uh, during the exile of the people of Israel where they've come, Judah actually, but they've come to uh, Babylon, which is a whole other uh, way of living than what they were used to when they were in Judah, where they had Jerusalem, they had the temple. Now they're away from all of that. And they're living under this um, foreign empire that doesn't worship God. And um, anyway, and in all that, you do have people like Daniel who are trying to live faithfully to God in the midst of that. Like, what do we do here? How does this work out? Is, Is there any hope for us now that we're here, or is this kind of the end of everything? And in the midst of all that, it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven turning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another little horn, was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. My vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." Recognize any language from from Daniel 7 and Revelation 13? Oh, it's all over the place, isn't it? You have all these, but now you've got uh, not all these different beasts. You've got them all kind of as one. And what did the beasts represent in Daniel 7? If you go on uh, later in the chapter, it's actually interpreted for you. But these are these different empires. And each beast represents another empire, this other uh, way of ruling that is against God, against his people, against his way of doing things. 
And then you have, <clears throat> in the midst of that, you have this one who's like a son of man, not a beast. If you go back to um, Genesis 1 and 2, you see that the way that things are supposed to work is that the people are supposed to be ruling over God's creation, right? That's one of the things that he has given people to do, is to rule over his creation as his representatives. And so we are to rule in his way. And that means even ruling over the beasts of the earth. But here we see it's kind of gotten flipped, and we see these images of these terrifying beasts that are like ruling over the people. This is empire. It's the state. When it rules, not like the true human, Jesus, but instead when it rules like a beast. Following its own desires, following its own um, selfish ends, not willing, uh, like Jesus was, to lay down his life for others, but very willing to take the lives of others to get what it wants. This, it's a whole different way, isn't it? And then what we see in Revelation? Same kind of thing, but now what we have is all of it kind of together. You, why, how do you have this beast that's kind of all these different parts? That's because it's an image of the beastly nature of, of um, empire, the beastly nature of the state that is opposed to God and his ways. Now, here's what's crazy. Did you notice how many different ways uh, were mentioned that were similar, like a parody almost, of Jesus, things that were in common that the beast had with Jesus. You see that? Revelation 13. Crowns. Given authority by the dragon, whereas Jesus is given authority by the Father. People worshiping the dragon because he's given authority to the beast. People worship God the Father because the authority is given to Jesus. He's given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Sound familiar? There's even this uh, kind of parody resurrection thing. Uh, seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. There's a lot. This, this is actually part two, by the way, of a three-part thing where we have the dragon and then the beast from the sea, and then there's the beast from the land, which we'll look at next week, that form this uh, unholy or satanic trinity that parodies the Trinity that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's what it's doing. Because I don't know if you know this, but, um, but God can create things. Did you know that? And the devil can't. Did you know that? And so what he does is he twists the things that God has created to serve other purposes. You look all the way through. This is what it is. And so the same thing here. He, 
He doesn't create anything. He's just twisting things to a different purpose. And he twists it as a way of uh, trying to get people to follow his way instead of the way of God. One of the ones that I hope you heard in here that line in verse 4, when it says the people worship the dragon because he had given an authority to the beast and also worship the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Did you hear that? Do you recognize that from anywhere, that kind of language? Who is like the beast? Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? This is a phrase, if you, if you know to look for it, you will see it everywhere. <laughs> Uh, throughout the Bible, especially throughout the Old Testament. It's just all over the place. But it's always who is like the Lord. In fact, the um, call to worship we had this morning from Psalm 89, it's in there multiple times. Uh, For who in the skies above can uh, can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? Over and over again, this is a question that is asked rhetorically throughout the Bible as a way of saying, no one, there's no one like him. He is in a category all of his own. He alone is worthy to be praised and worshiped and honored because he alone is the one true God, the creator of all, the sustainer, the redeemer. And then you have people saying the same thing about an imposter. Not good. Really not good. There's another Daniel connection here. Do you guys see this happening ever in our world? Of Because we talk about the beast that's being worshipped here as the state, right? As empire as these governing authorities that are supposed to be, according to Romans 13, supposed to be under God and leading and providing for people in his way. And yet, you ever see states? (laughs) I don't mean like 50 states, Texas, Kansas, all that, but like the state. The governing authority. You ever see governing authorities that rule more like beasts than like Jesus? Do you ever see people who are terrified of what the state might do to them? And so cave? And like Peter, take their eyes off of Jesus? give in to their fear and they start to sink? Do you ever hear people say things like, who is like this particular state? Putting the state itself in a place above God? You ever see that in today's world? Anywhere in this world? A lot of places in this world. Sometimes really close to home. Well, it's not a new uh, problem. And if you remember earlier in, chap- in Daniel, chapter 7, no, chapter 3, 
in verse 7, you see uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar had actually set up a golden statue as like, hey, everybody's going to bow down and worship this thing. And you know what? Almost everyone does. And it says, <clears throat> verse 7, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We see that. We read that. And we go, well, obviously not. I would not do that. On the other hand, at this point, there were three people who stood up because everybody else was bowing down. All the nations and peoples of every language were falling down and worshiping the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And why? One, it's an impressive statue. And two, he'll kill us if we don't. And so there was the fear of what the state would do to them if they were to resist. And there were these three men who said, I'm sorry, but this is where the line is. I cannot do that. And you know what happened to them? They got thrown into a blazing furnace of fire. And you go, well, that's... That's really not where I was hoping this would go. I was hoping that they would actually, you know, everyone would look at them and go, oh, yeah, that's what we ought to be doing. Why, why are we bowing down to the statue? And then everybody stands up and there's a big revival and it's good. No. They actually get hauled off and they get thrown into a blazing furnace of fire. And before they go into the fire, they're given a chance to, uh, to bow down to the statue again, save their lives. And it's almost like they could hear the words of Jesus before they were even spoken. You remember when Jesus said, everyone who wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it? We have all those people who are bowing down to the statue because they want to save their lives. And what's really happening? They are losing their very souls. And then you have these three guys who are like, no, we are not going to bow down to that statue, even if it means we lose our lives. So they get thrown in, <clears throat> saying, we know that God can save us. We don't know if he will. But either way, we're not bowing down to that thing. So they go in. And in that case, they are saved. That God rescues their lives even through the flames, and they come out unharmed on the other side. Now, let's go back to Revelation. We may find ourselves not in the exact same situation as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three who would not bow. We may find ourselves in similar situations. It's all a matter of priority. Who is it that we believe gives us our identity? Are we primarily citizens of the state? 
Are we primarily citizens of the kingdom of heaven? The way you answer that question really matters. You go back to Revelation 13. Do you know who it is that is worshiping the beast? In verse 8, it says it's all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All inhabitants of the earth. Does that mean every person? No. Here's the fascinating thing. Throughout Revelation, you have people who are described as like the earth dwellers and those who are the heaven dwellers, (laughs) that kind of thing. And that is part of the good news of the gospel is that we can actually be heaven dwellers even now. And so if you think about it, it is as though we are in a battleground and you have two competing kings who are both saying, that is my territory, those are my people. And they're going to battle it out. And then you're going to say, okay, at some point, it's going to be over and it's going to be declared, this is whose land this is. And so the question as the person living there is, well, who do you actually think is going to win? Because whoever you think is actually going to win is going to determine how you are living in the meantime, right? So here's the thing. One of the things we've seen throughout the Bible and... um, some some places pretty explicitly so, is the battle's already over. Jesus has already won. That victory is assured. And so if we're living here now going, I don't know, I don't know, it seems like they're pretty evenly matched, we've missed the point. They're not evenly matched. The rhetorical, (laughs) the answer to the rhetorical question, who is like the Lord, is no one. That Jesus is the one who has already won the victory. And that's why we ought to be living as citizens of heaven now. That's why Jesus is out there saying the kingdom of heaven is near. It is at hand that he is inviting people into this kingdom now, even though uh, you read through the parables of Jesus. He's like, not going to recognize this. And so there will be people who are living as though the kingdoms of this earth are the highest thing out there. They're living as though the beast is actually going to win. And so we better live in line with that because we're really afraid of what he might do to us if we don't. And I would say it's like Peter looking at the wind and the waves. If we forget that we have been called by the one who can walk on the water, who treads over the sea, not not the beast that comes out of the sea. The last line of this, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This is written to a people who are suffering at the hands of the state because of their faith in Jesus. And there's more to come down the road. And so he says, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, they will be killed. But that's not the end of the story, is it? That there may be suffering 
but that doesn't mean the state wins. Do we have any way of being confident in that? Have you ever seen a time where it looked like the state won by inflicting violence on someone until they were dead? And yet the state didn't win? (laughs) I would hope at this point, you know I'm talking about Jesus, who was crucified by Rome, and it seems like, well, if they can kill him, there must be nobody more powerful than the state. Well, fast forward three days. There is no one more powerful than Jesus who rules in a very different way than uh, the state. Jesus says, uh, in talking about authority to his disciples, you're not to be like that. You know, the, the rulers of uh, the world, they... They rule over people. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you must be a servant. When we think about power in this world, I keep going back to Peter. We, we think about it so much like Peter. Where Jesus comes into Jerusalem And everyone's praising him as this new coming king. And he takes his disciples and they go up to this upper room where they're going to celebrate the Passover together. All about God redeeming his people from slavery and rescuing them by his own power, not their own. And then as they are beginning everything, Jesus gets up from the table, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he starts to wash their feet. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. You don't understand, Jesus. This is not how this works. You're supposed to be the guy who goes in and uses all the power of this world to drive out the other powers of this world. And Jesus is like, what? No, you, you don't understand. No, if, if, I don't, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. It's a very different way, very different way of ruling a very and display of a different kind of power. Why? Because Jesus is the one who's revealing the true God, and Jesus is the one who is the true human who's doing it. And so when you look, what state does this? What state rules like Jesus? Who serves in humility and is willing to lay down their lives for others? There is no one like Jesus. And his way is a sharp contrast to the ways of this world. And as those who have been called by him to follow in his way, we, we are those who uh, are living among a lot of earth dwellers but we are called to be heaven dwellers even on earth and to help others to hear this call as well, to be heaven dwellers even on earth. So how do we do this? Not like the beast. We do it like Jesus. It is 
Titus tells us, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. This is how we help, uh, how we follow Jesus' lead, how we worship him above all else, and how we help others to see that he alone is worthy of worship. Now, on Wednesday night, we'll be talking about Romans 13 this week. So when we look at issues of uh, how we are to relate to the state, I'm sure this will come up again there. Plenty of opportunity for discussion, so come on with that. But for now, just the recognition the way of seeing this world through the eyes of the vision of Revelation, of the uh, the kingdoms of this world that try to parody Jesus in order to replace him, are not to be followed in that way, certainly not to be worshipped, um, but also not to be feared. Uh, We will see more about that as we go forward in the book of Revelation. But for now, whoever has ears, let them hear. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. God, we do pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to understand uh, what this means and what this means for us as we go about um, living as your people who are citizens of heaven, who are citizens of your kingdom. First and foremost, God, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes where they belong. God, remind us again and again of the love that you have for us. God, in the way that you already have um, have won the victory, I pray that you'd help us not to be uh, distracted by the wind and the waves. Help us not to be distracted by all the uh, voices that are trying to get your people to worship something or someone besides you. I give us endurance. Give us patience. Help us to be faithful. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.